NFL fans, welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We have a great show for you today. We're back here on Monday morning. Thanks for your patience last week when we had a kind of an unusual episode with the, the show coming out last week on Tuesday. We're back to our regular scheduled programming on Monday morning, so that's good news. Uh, we got great stuff for you today. We're going to lead with the Detroit Lions defeating the Dallas Cowboys in dramatic fashion late in that game. That uh, final score was 31-30, to Detroit winning that. And then also in our first segment, we're going to talk about the lack of good games really on the schedule this weekend uh, across the NFL, but uh, mostly in the primetime games. If uh, I believe it was uh, Ken Burns on... Uh, FN radio on Thursday and said if there was if there was ever a week uh, one week in the NFL season where you had to go to bed early every single primetime night Thursday Sunday and Monday night uh, this would be the one <laughs> not not very good matchups in primetime this week so we'll talk about that second segment we'll go to Cincinnati where the Bengals beat up on the Jets the Broncos coming back and defeating the Washington Redskins to the top four o'clock games uh, from Sunday. Also, we can talk about the 1 o'clock matchup between New England and Miami. Miami losing their fourth straight, dropping to 3-4 and four when it looked like they were going to be contenders out there in the AFC East. No longer the case as of right now, and then they have a tough matchup coming up this Thursday against Cincinnati. We'll close out the show with a third, third uh, well, in our third segment, the fourth and long segment of the show, uh, where we'll talk about Larry Fitzgerald, a possible trade coming in the in the offseason. The 49ers in their running game really took it to Jacksonville in London on Sunday. Go back to talking about New England and how uh, where they stand in the AFC, and then talk about the AFC as a whole. All of a sudden, you got some really strong teams in the AFC, 6-2 Patriots, 6-2 uh, Bengals, 8 and 0 Kansas City Chiefs, 7 and 1 Broncos, 5 and 2 Colts are is the AFC now the more dominant conference uh and at the days with the NFC really short-lived if you, if you ask me just the last couple of years with the NFC being a tougher conference has that already switched back in the AFC favor. Let's go back over the NFC though with our leading story, the Detroit Lions victorious over the Dallas Cowboys. This one, heartbreaking loss for the Cowboys and uh, Tony Romo in Dallas. But let, let's let's start with the winning side here. Calvin Johnson, it, was there a bigger story than him? 14 catches, 329 receiving yards in this game. Well, only one touchdown, only one touchdown. 329 receiving yards. That's, that's a good amount of offense for one team in a game. And Johnson got it all by himself. Just unbelievable. I mean, no wonder he's got the nickname Megatron. Uh, just 14 catches, 300. I just It still amazes me that he was targeted 16 times, 14 catches, 329 yards. That's You get that much in three games. That's impressive. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, as a team... 
only had 268 yards. Calvin Johnson by himself outgained the Dallas Cowboys by a lot. It wasn't even close. And on total for total offense, the Lions had 623 yards. I mean, the four turnovers is what did them in, and ultimately we, we thought it would cost them the game, but the Lions coming back late in this one. In case you missed it, I guess I should recap the ending where we had uh, the Lions down by 10 with just over six minutes to play after Des Bryant caught his second touchdown of the game, which we'll get to Des Bryant in just a second. Lions down 27-17. They drive down the field, and Reggie Bush scores a one-yard touchdown with 3.33 left in the game. So down by three, the Lions actually force a punt get the ball back, go for it on fourth down and miss it. And we saw this a few weeks ago in New England against the Saints where the Patriots went for it on fourth down and still had another shot. So the, the, the Cowboys already in field goal range. Up by three, less than two minutes to go. The Lions burn their last timeouts. The Cowboys actually get called for a holding penalty on third down. They didn't convert anyway. The Lions elected to let them go ahead and kick the field goal or, or go ahead and accept, uh, decline the holding penalty and let them kick the field goal. They go ahead and kick the field goal. They make it. They're now up by – the Cowboys are now up by 6, 30 to 24. Still looked very slim that they would be able to come back, but two passes down the field for Matt Stafford, who, by the way, was just tremendous in the first big pass of the drive, a 40-yarder to Chris Durham. And then on the very next play, uh, Durham was able to get out of bounds. Stafford finds Calvin Johnson again, and Johnson gets down to the one-yard line. Seconds ticking away. There's about, I'd say, 20 seconds left. And uh, Stafford calls for the, the, the spike to stop the clock. But it looked, it looked like by himself, he just sneaked it. The offensive line didn't know. The defensive line didn't expect it. And uh, Stafford just ran it in for the touchdown, tied the game, and then David Eckers' extra point gave them the one-point advantage. 12 seconds left on the clock, and the Lions held on to have a dramatic win over the Cowboys. Uh, really, uh, you know, just a horrible loss for Dallas. For Detroit, let's let's stick with them and wrap up what this win means for them. Well, they've now moved moving to five and three. They haven't been five and three since they finished ten and six in 2011. The only season really in recent memory from the last I don't know decade and a half for the Lions where they made the playoffs. Uh, so it's pretty exciting for Detroit, I'd say, especially uh, just a week after the Tigers were eliminated from the playoffs. It's pretty cool that uh, the Lions are back on the right track at five and three. Still have a lot of work to do. You know they got to clean up some things on offense, particularly the four turnovers they had in this game. Matt Stafford threw two interceptions. He did throw for 488 yards and a touchdown, but those yards and that touchdown uh, don't mean quite as much when you turn the ball over twice. And in addition to the two interceptions, you had fumbles lost as well. One from uh, Reggie Bush, the other from Calvin Johnson. So the stars for Detroit, who did very well, talked about Johnson's numbers, Stafford, I mean, nearly threw for 500 yards uh, and had a touchdown pass. Reggie Bush, 21 carries, 92 yards. So this is 
definitely not the same Detroit Lions team that we saw, you know, at the beginning of this season or even last year, uh, where it was very heavy pass. They, I mean, they passed a lot in this game, 48 attempts, but uh, they can get some yardage on the ground and have a pretty good average. Reggie Bush in this game, 4.4 average. He even mixed in Joaquin Bell, who had four carries for 32 yards. Average of eight yards per carry. So the Lions are chewing it up on the ground, doing a lot, a lot better than they had. Uh, but the the things they got to clean up are the turnovers. You can't have four turnovers in a game and uh, the, the not get any turnovers as well. So have a turnover differential of minus four and win many games. Actually, if you you watch the game, they put up the graphic. In the last three years, there's only been one team. Prior to Sunday, that won despite losing the turnover battle by four, having a negative four turnover differential in one game and winning. Uh, and Detroit became the second team since 2011 to do so. For Dallas, dropping to four and four—that's not the end of the world. They can still, uh, you know, they, they still control their own destiny. They're in first place in the NFC East. We'll talk about other teams in the NFC East later in the show. But just the fact that this is another loss for, for Dallas that I, I think it was a really bad one. And you're starting to feel bad for them, you know? And even if you you hate Dallas, um, maybe if you're just not a fan, if you're a fan from of a team outside of Dallas's division, outside of the NFC East, I mean, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm a cowboy lover or a cowboy hater but I just at a certain point it's like Jason Garrett because I just I feel bad mostly for Jason Garrett partially maybe for Tony Romo but mostly for Garrett because Garrett is going to get blamed for these kind of losses and it could possibly he could lose his job over this over games like this especially this year it's been heralded that uh, that uh, Garrett is on the hot seat and a loss like this can be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, saving your job and getting fired. So that's why, in a way, I feel bad for Jason Garrett because, again, it's like there wasn't much that he really could have done, especially at the end of the game, to secure this victory. It was it was secure, pretty secure. I mean, the announcers had it all wrapped up in a nice bow. <laughs> Dick Stockton and... Uh, uh, Brian Billick both talking about well, you know, where the Cowboys are going from there and five and three and all these things, but uh, the game wasn't over yet. And I guess it's pretty evident that that secondary for Dallas is pretty weak, as allowing Calvin Johnson over 300 yards by himself once again in this game. So I feel bad for for Dallas in a way. Can't feel too bad, but I do feel bad in a way. And it, through the, the beginning of the game, it appeared to be a, a contest that Dallas was going to win. And uh, I guess that's really why the announcers were, were talking the way they were. But what I thought the storyline was going to be this, this week and our leading story with this game, not that you know the Lions' offense so dynamic, uh, you know, having the, the triple threat and the comeback. I thought the, the leading story leading angle in this game would be that finally Dallas won a game that they really weren't supposed to win. You know, they, they got completely outgained. They were outplayed by Calvin Johnson. He was gashing him. 
Uh, but Tony Romo turns in a solid day. 206 yards, 14 of 30. Not great, but three touchdown passes. The defense forced four turnovers. Sean Lee intercepted two passes at his linebacker position. Has the most interceptions among linebackers since he was drafted. Not only does he do I believe he is the best player on defense for Dallas, he's one of the best linebackers in the league. All these things going right for Dallas, really when you thought that Detroit was outplaying them besides the turnovers. Well, at the end of the game, Detroit comes back and gets the victory. So it turned in from what what I, what would have been a nice win and maybe breaking out of their shell a little bit in Dallas quickly turned to oh another typical loss and Detroit Matt Stafford another great comeback but that's the way it is the blown blown uh, blown game at the end the last topic I want to discuss here in this first game was Des Bryant what the heck was he doing at the end of that game I understand that Tony Romo and Jason Garrett came out, you know, during the the their their post game press conference and talked about how you know, Des Bryant's not a me person and and he really puts the team first. He's just a very emotional person. Well, I can understand that to a degree, to a degree, but you have to somewhat control those emotions. You can't let them run wild and start yelling at your your all pro tight end Jason Witten. Who, by the way, they, they got into a shouting match a little bit at the end of that uh, end of the game, uh, with 12 seconds left. So that can't happen. I think you have to. Yes, energy's good. You know, be caring about a game is good. Those are all positive things, but you have to control it in a good way. If you let it become a, a fire and uh, completely expose you, um, and uh, kind of take you take you out of your your rhythm, then it, it defeats the purpose. Now, I didn't mention Des Bryant during the game. There was a big uh, issue or, or a lot of discussion the whole week about who was better, Des Bryant or Calvin Johnson, both of them showing up in this game. Um, and Des Bryant saying during the week, I can do anything that Calvin Johnson does. Well, Bryant, a much quieter night, three catches, 72 yards compared to Calvin's 329 well, Brian had more touchdown passes. He had the two touchdown passes out of his three catches. Uh, the first one was a really beautiful catch. It was only five yards, but a back shoulder grab with one hand. Really nice catch from Brian. And then in the fourth quarter, like I mentioned, with less than seven minutes to go, Brian catches a long 50-yard pass from uh, Romo that it appeared would be enough to give Dallas the victory, but to no avail, the Lions get a big win, and are sitting pretty, I would say, in the NFC North, just behind Green Bay. Green Bay 5-2, and two, Detroit 5-3. and three. For the rest of our opening segment, we're going to just discuss briefly about the primetime games this week. Watching the Carolina Panthers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was just god-awful painful. With the World Series on the same night, uh, I was trying to watch both and just oh, unbelievable how bad Tampa Bay is. And what's even funny is they're not even the worst team in their own state. Jacksonville takes home that one, but Tampa Bay and Jacksonville are clearly the winner, the, the leaders for that number one pick. 
And uh, we'll see, it'll be interesting to see where they go. And so it'll be interesting to see if Greg Schiano is even still there in Tampa Bay. But uh, that game was pretty typical what I thought. You know, uh, possibly uh, Carolina scoring a lot, but thought it would be relatively low scoring. And, and that was the case. Carolina put up some big plays against Tampa Bay and won handedly. Sunday night, Green Bay Packers defeated the Minnesota Vikings. I know this is a rivalry. Actually, all three uh, primetime games this week are uh, division games, which I like watching division games. That's why I don't mind watching these games. But uh, just clearly, Minnesota inferior to the Green Bay Packers, even without some of the Packers' best uh, uh, pass catchers and Jermichael Finley and uh, uh, Randall Cobb. Even with without those guys, the Packers were able to control the game for the most part. It was close uh, for parts of the game, but uh, the Packers were able to prevail. And then Monday night, we normally don't talk about Monday night, like I've said last week, but uh, Rams and Seahawks, not exactly excited for that matchup either. Uh, it's another great team against a subpar team. Uh, yeah, it's a division game, but it really doesn't mean much. Uh, unless you're in that division or you're just a really intense football fan, which I'm sure we have plenty of those on Football Nation. So uh, I will, regardless of who's playing, I always watch every primetime game. So yeah, I just wish the games were a little bit better. I don't mind the, the interdivision games again, but the fact that these the, you know the one team is pretty bad and the other team is fighting for a... Uh, home field advantage through the playoffs, it's it's kind of tough to uh, get excited about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some more game coverage from Sunday. Welcome back to Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're going to keep recapping a couple games here on uh, today's episode. We're moving into the 4 o'clock slot where we saw a couple entertaining games. Uh, well, they were they were supposed to be entertaining, uh, but they really didn't end up being, being so, uh, especially this first one. Cincinnati Bengals defeated the New York Jets 49-9. Uh, in this one, Andy Dalton threw five touchdown passes, a career high, 325 yards for him. So he had a career day. Uh, Marvin Jones caught four touchdowns. So four of those five touchdowns went to Marvin Jones. Eight receptions for him, 122 yards. But of course, the big stat there, four touchdowns. That's a Bengal franchise record uh, for for him. So that was that was pretty pretty cool. If you're a Bengals fan or if you're a Marvin Jones fan, um, somebody that actually probably some people might have been thinking about picking up in fantasy or maybe did pick up in fantasy. Well, if you didn't pick him up and he's still available, then he might be uh, somebody worth getting, although he might have scored as many touchdowns as he's going to get now for the rest of the year, uh, getting all of them in just one game. Um, For the Bengals, this big win, I mean, it's not really worth recapping much of the game because it was out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, but just talking about what the win means for this team, 
the the Browns and Steelers lost on Sunday, so you not that anybody thought that they were going to come back and win this division, uh, but you just further drive yourself away from those two guys, don't, especially the Steelers. You don't want to give a franchise like Pittsburgh any hope that they're going to come back and um, and take the division from you. Uh, so I think it's, it was important that the Bengals continue to you know put, put the the pedal to the metal, uh, get some wins, especially wins that they're supposed to have. No slip ups like this franchise has had before. Don't give the Steelers any hope. The Steelers, uh, like probably many people predicted, uh, are, are going to struggle this year and struggled on the road against Oakland and lost. So they're they're not out of it, but. They're, they are just holding on by a thread, if you ask me, at, at two and five. Bengals now six and two. So they're a full, you know, three and a, three and a half. The three and a half games back? Yeah, three. Um, or maybe two and a half, whatever. Whatever it is. Two and a half, three and a half. It doesn't matter. Um, they're, they're pretty far. Uh, that, that's far enough back to say that I think they're pretty much done. Um, the Ravens. Had a bye, so they are three and four still, um, and they are, um, you know, uh, the 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 biggest threat really for the for the Bengals going forward. And they still have two games against each other. I mean, the Bengals have already beaten the Steelers once, so that makes it even harder for Pittsburgh to come back. But uh, for the the Ravens and and Bengals, they still got to go at it, got to go at it twice. So anything can happen in those two games, especially. In Baltimore, if uh, the whenever that game happens, and uh, let's take a look at the schedule to see when that does happen. Uh, okay, uh, the the game in Baltimore is actually two weeks away. On Sunday, November tenth, the two teams will play each other for the first time in Baltimore. Uh, f- following uh, the following game, the Bengals will play against Cleveland, and they've already lost to Cleveland this year. And then the Bengals have a late bye week 12, and the final five games, they have three of them at home. The two road games are at San Diego and at Pittsburgh. They close out the season against Baltimore, but at home. So I, I expect fully expect the Bengals to win the AFC North. I think they've been, been by far and away the most consistent and best team. They just, like I've talked about in weeks past, they have to not beat themselves, and they have to get it together on the road. Early in this season, I mean, of the first four games, they were 2-2. Two and two. The, Both losses were on the road. They beat New England. They beat Green Bay at home, but they lost to teams like Chicago and Cleveland on the road. But the last couple of games, they've gotten it together on the road. They beat Buffalo in Buffalo. I know it took overtime, but they got the job done. Sometimes great teams even have to take overtime to beat teams not as good as them in a full 16-game season. It happens. The following week, they got a nice win at Detroit. That was last week. And then they put a killing on New York. So that uh, was very good as as well. Uh, the next two games are actually going to be on the road. So this is a perfect time for them to get it together on the road. They cannot fall to 6-4. and four. And then give Baltimore, and depending on what Pittsburgh does, they can't give those other teams, and even Cleveland, really, uh, they can't give those teams hope that they can come back and hope that oh, the Bengals will be the Bungles again and 
and, and blow this division lead. They got to win at least one of the next two games, maybe even both of them, really um, secure their place in the division, go out to 8-2. and two. You can do it. I mean, Miami's been really struggling, and Baltimore has a losing record. They've been struggling too, so it's it's quite possible that that they could get out to an eight and two or even nine and two with Cleveland the following week before the bye, be nine and two entering their bye week in week twelve. As for the Jets, I mean, this is just a really difficult one. I think the the one comment that I wanted to make about it was Cincinnati got out to a fourteen nothing lead very quickly in this game. I mean. The, the Bengals scored a touchdown five minutes into it, and then about five and a half minutes after that, Jermaine Gresham caught the only <laughs> touchdown pass from Andy Dalton that wasn't to Marvin Jones. Uh, so, uh, you know, 11 minutes into the game, the Bengals were ahead 14 nothing, And I know the Jets came back last week down 21-10, but the Jets are not built to come from behind. They're not a team that is going to score a lot of points, especially against a good defense. Maybe they can do it against New England, who, I mean, New England has a good defense, but Cincinnati's defense is borderline elite. I mean, Cincinnati's defense is definitely a top 10, maybe a top 5. So to do it against New England is one thing. Your division rival at home, average to above average defense. To do it on the road against a top five defense is a whole nother monster. And Geno Smith wasn't going to do that. And um, so I, I think the, the game was really lost in the first 10 minutes for the Jets. After that, all, all of the decisions and um, the, the struggles that both that the Jets had and the, and the successes that the Bengals had really came, I think, from the early lead that the Bengals were able to get out to. So the Jets are now 4-4. Four and four. New England won. We're going to talk about New England a little bit later in the show. They won, and they're 6-2. and two. So the Jets now two games behind in that division. You thought that maybe at 4-4, four and four, that's definitely a lie for a wild card in the AFC. But before the season, I would say that. And I think that's still true, but uh, the AFC... The teams in, the, in that conference are a lot better record-wise than we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. So we're going to actually discuss that also later in the show. So I will save that thought for later. The other game that I wanted to touch upon in this segment was the Broncos coming back and beating the Washington Redskins. I don't want to talk a whole lot about the Broncos. I mean, we've t- I feel like we talk about them every single week, and it's not like it really changes all that much. Uh, I just think they're just a fan favorite right now. And if you listen to FN Radio, uh, um, Carrie Burns and the, the guest star on, on the, the show on Thursday, along with uh, the host Bill Enright and Todd DeFreeze, we're talking about how the Broncos were or, or are fan favorites. And uh, the, the, the NFL fans love them right now. I mean, they, NFL fans have always loved and have been obsessed with Peyton Manning. And uh, just think that he is really can do no wrong, and that the Broncos have already put themselves in the Super Bowl and this and that, blah blah blah. Uh, just fan favorite, really. And yeah, I enjoy watching them play, 
But it, at a certain point, it's just like I would like to watch a team that plays defense. <laughs> and Kerry talked about that on the show, FN Radio, that the Broncos really have struggled on defense this season. And that's what I want to talk about, that if Peyton Manning is not perfect, which he wasn't at the beginning of this game, then the Broncos are very vulnerable. And we saw that when when Denver fell um, from a to a, a twenty one to seven deficit after D'Angelo Hall returned an interception twenty six yards for a touchdown. Now Peyton Manning threw three picks in this game, uh, also threw four touchdowns, also for three hundred and fifty four yards. But if you can get Peyton Manning for three interceptions and not turn the ball over yourself then you have a good shot of of beating him. The problem is the the Redskins turned it over five times, the Broncos four. So the one thing that the Denver Broncos defense did well on Sunday against the Redskins was getting takeaways. That is definitely one thing that a bad defense can do to make up for not being able to stop anybody is to get interceptions and fumbles. And the Broncos did that, obviously, on Sunday. So after... After that interception return, that was pretty early in the third quarter, Redskins went up 21-7, and the final was 45-21. So the next five touchdowns were all Denver, and they also added a field goal in there. Um, And they had their own interception return, actually, for a touchdown. 75 yards was kind of the last last, uh, breath for the Redskins to try and come back. Down 14, they threw a pick, and then they went down 20 um, well, they weren't down 14, sorry. They were down uh, 17, actually, and then went down 24. Um, so for for the Broncos, they have some big games coming up. Uh, they they got to still play Kansas City twice. I mean, the division, uh, whether or not they get the division and get the home playoff games and, and the home field advantage, it's going to come down to the games against Kansas City. And I know everybody is still riding the Chiefs about it. They haven't played anybody yet. They don't win by a wide margin. They they just barely beat the Browns. Well, you know what? They won. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind. And they've and they've just won the game eight times now. <laughs> in eight weeks. They're eight no. I don't see how you can't rank them as the best team in the NFL right now at eight no. Maybe they won't end up number one, after they finally lose a game. I'm not saying, I don't think that at all they're going to go undefeated. I think they will lose once to the Broncos, but Kansas City's goal has got to be win at home against Can- against uh, against Denver. That's got to be Kansas City's mindset. And if they can do that, if they can split with Denver and win in Arrowhead, then I think it's going to be uh, Kansas City's division to lose. Really do. Uh, Kansas City, I think they're a more balanced team, obviously, and a, a more complete team, perhaps, than the Broncos. But I am worried about how they match up against the Broncos. Are they going to be able to slow down Peyton Manning enough? And is that offense going to be able to keep up with Peyton Manning and all of those receivers? But we're still a couple weeks away from that matchup. The Broncos actually on a bye this coming week. The Redskins, touch upon them briefly. I'm disappointed with their performance in this game. After the, the amount of points they put up against Chicago, 45 to win that game, came back late in the game to win it. 
Um, we talked about uh, how this division is very winnable when we talked about the Dallas Cowboys at the top of the show. The Redskins did it last year. Could they come back You know, after a, a, a bad start and capture the NFC East? Well, I, I guess they weren't really expected to win this game anyway, but at 2-5, and five, they have a very small margin of error. Uh, and the, the games coming up are winnable games, but uh, still going to be difficult. They still have to play Kansas City. They still have to play San Francisco. Uh, and uh, they, they play San Diego next week, which is going to be a tough game as well. A, a team that's alive and well out in the... Again, the AFC West is killing the NFC East this season. It's ridiculous uh, how... how dominant the AFC West has, has been, and it's tough to really tell if they're the best division in football or they're beating up on the weak NFC East. I, I can't really, um, it's hard to determine, but uh, with with games against San Diego, San Francisco, Kansas City, those are all really tough ones, and when you already have five losses, um, those three, you're looking at possibly the best you could finish is eight and eight, and that means you got to win at Minnesota, at Philly against New York twice, uh, and against Atlanta and Dallas. And the Atlanta game is in the Georgia Dome. So uh, I think if RG3, who, by the way, left Sunday's game with a knee injury, uh, that's that's not good. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll be updated on that during the week. But it was. I think what's disappointing is RG3 was looking better um, – last week and, and looked more like his, his old self, but maybe took a step back in the Denver game and obviously left the game uh, with an injury. So, or at least maybe not with an injury, but the knee was bothering him. So I think that just is a step backwards for the Redskins and, and, and the likelihood of them coming back like they did last year and capturing the division, especially if RG3 is going to be ailing like this is very, very slim. Let's take another break, and then we're going to come back to our fourth and long segment. Back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. And if you're on Facebook, find us on there. Search Dave's Football News. A couple things that I forgot in the first two segments, and then we'll go to our fourth and long segment. Uh, Matt Stafford, is it fair to say he's elite? That's an article written by Michael Grabowski on FootballNation.com. I think it's a good piece. You should go and check it out. And the other thing that I wanted to mention about the Bengals, the 49 points that they scored against the Jets on Sunday was the most points that they had scored since 2004. So nine years since they put up a 49 spot on the scoreboard. Uh, very successful game for the Bengals. Let's go ahead into that fourth and long segment now. I'm going to say a statement and I'm either going to agree and go for it on fourth and long or disagree and punt it away. Uh, and I'm also going to bring up a couple of other uh, articles that I liked uh, this weekend on footballnation.com. 
Com. That first one, trade destinations for Larry Fitzgerald. Can't believe that they're talking about trading this guy, uh, which the Cardinals have mentioned is a possibility this offseason. So this is an article written, it's actually a slideshow, by Michael Quinn. So I recommend checking it out. For our loyal listeners out there, you'll remember that we brought Michael, also known as PJ, onto the show uh, as a guest before the season started. So, uh, PJ, you're, you're uh, creating great stuff, so I recommend go, going ahead and, and checking out the slideshow. Uh, but for the statement, Larry Fitzgerald, or the, I should say the St. Arizona Cardinals, not the St. Louis Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals should trade away Larry Fitzgerald this offseason. I'm putting this really far away. I don't, I don't really get it. What are they going to get for him? A first-round pick? A, a first and a second-round pick? Hey, Larry Fitzgerald is one of the best wide receivers really ever. I mean, he's. I think when it's all said and done, maybe he won't have the stats, but talent-wise, he is one of the most talented wide receivers of all time. I, I don't really know why the Cardinals would have any interest in trading him away unless they have a salary cap issue or something that I'm unaware of. Or um, they are trying to rebuild and get draft picks, but I know that you know wide receiver is a tough position to build your team around. But I don't see. I never understand really when a team wants to trade away their best player, unless for whatever reason they are a bad influence or uh, a bad locker room presence for the team. And I seriously doubt that's Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> I really don't think that Larry Fitzgerald is that kind of guy where you wouldn't want to have him on your team. So I, I, in any sport, I never understand why you would trade away your best player. I guess it's worked in some instances, some cases where it's worked out. But I wouldn't recommend the Cardinals doing it. And uh, in the slideshow, there are six teams that, uh, that PJ recommends or, or, or names that should go after Fitzgerald, uh, and uh, the top one, I'm sure a lot of people would uh, be upset if Larry Fitzgerald ends up going to the top team that uh, Michael, a.k.a. PJ, has on his slideshow. But I'm not going to give it away. Go check out the slideshow. For my second segment, let's go into the 49ers and... uh, uh, Jacksonville. I couldn't remember the Jaguars. Are they even a team anymore? Um, <laughs> the 49ers and Jaguars game from uh, from London. Second game from London uh, this year, and they're talking about having three there next year. I don't. Well, I don't understand why the Dallas Cowboys. They're talking about having them play in London. This is a slight sidetrack, you know, in case you're wondering. Um, they're talking about the Cowboys playing in London next year. Why is that news? Like, why do I care? Because they're America's team? They shouldn't play in London? Like, I just feel like they're, the media is making a really big deal about the Cowboys possibly going and playing in London next year. But what, what's the big deal? Uh, actually, I, I know of Cowboy fans in London. I've interacted with them on Twitter. I think they'd be really happy if the Cowboys go and play there. So I think the 49ers have gone there and played a lot. I think New England has as well. And if you go to London, the teams that have played there actually have somewhat of a fan base there. 
except maybe the Jaguars, <laughs> which I don't know. I'm making that up. The Jaguars might have a fan base in, in London too. Uh, so uh, anyway, going back, that, that was a sidetrack. Back, back to uh, the, the statement about the 49ers and their running game. Scoring four times in that running game, Frank Gore got two touchdowns, Colin Kaepernick two touchdowns as well. And then the amazing thing is that Kendall Hunter led the team in rushing with 84 yards on nine carries. He just didn't get a score. Uh, So the running game, the key to the 49ers' success and their hopes in making it down to the Super Bowl again in February. I'm completely grunting on this one. This was very easy. Uh, I think I would have made it a little bit more difficult if I chose something like Kendall Hunter is the key to the 49ers running game, which I think you could maybe argue. Um, in recent weeks, I, I, I kind of expected Frank Gore to maybe fall off a little bit, and maybe he's not getting the yards per se and, and all of the carries, although he did get 19 carries against Jacksonville, which in this day of the NFL, 19 carries is a lot. Um and his average really wasn't that good at 3.7, 71 yards on those 19 carries. But Kendall Hunter, I think, is going to get more and more of a workload as the season goes along. And they're trying to keep Frank Gore fresh for the playoffs. And he's having a great season. He's scoring a bunch of touchdowns. But I think you could argue that any of those three guys are the keys to the, the 49ers rushing game. You, you saw it. You saw it on Sunday, how much more dynamic the 49ers' offense is and the running game is when Colin Kaepernick is running around successfully back there. He had seven carries for 54 yards against the Jaguars, two touchdowns. So it was not only Gore's touchdowns, and he is the guy that's going to still probably more than likely have the most carries, but Kaepernick and Hunter are the ones that are going to have more efficient carries, carries that go for more yards, maybe just less of them. So I think with all three of those guys, 49ers have a lethal, lethal running back uh, situation, running game on offense. And after, you know, everyone wanted to, to, to say that the 49ers were suffering from a Super Bowl hangover, uh, that they weren't going to get back there, uh, and Seattle is now the team in the NFC West. That may be true, at least the last part with Seattle being the team to beat in the NFC West. But 49ers, 6-2, and two, going into their bye in Week 9. They're looking very good. I think they're looking as good as anybody in the NFL right now. In the NFC, the three teams that I see being the best teams, Green Bay might be up there, but I'm going to take Green Bay out of it right now and say the three best teams in the NFC are the Saints, 49ers, and Seahawks. And one of those teams is going to get the, I think two of them are going to get buys. One of them is going to get home field advantage. And unfortunately, one of those West teams is going to have to play in the first week of the playoffs and play on the road. Probably, well, no, probably not at Green Bay if Green Bay gets the three seed. But actually, probably in Dallas or in Washington or in Philly, in New York. Jeez, who knows where. Um, with that, with that division, um, but uh, but yeah. So it, 
not saying that the 49ers are going to win their division because it's going to be tough with Seattle, but I like where the 49ers are right now about halfway through the year. Now, I mentioned that we were going to talk about the Patriots. We're not going to dissect their game. That was really the, the last game that uh, we, we – well, maybe the only game that we didn't talk about that was maybe worth talking about. The only other matchup that I, uh, that I was intrigued by on, uh, on Sunday. But I watched, uh, watched two games at 1 o'clock. Couldn't fit in a third one. Uh, I watched uh, the, the Lions and uh, – and Cowboys, I chose that one over the the Patriots and Dolphins, which was the right choice. And uh, then, of course, the the only game on in my house on TV at one o'clock was the great matchup between the Giants and Eagles. So thanks a lot, Fox and CBS, uh, having no game on at all at one o'clock. So I'll, I don't know how they decide when to put games on, but it was some paid programming on CBS at my house at one o'clock. And I can't really blame Fox for putting on the Giants. I mean, I, I do live in northern New Jersey, so that's what's going to happen. And even if I lived in southern New Jersey, they were playing the Eagles, so it was going to be on there too. Um, but anyway, with the, the Patriots, the statement I wanted to have with them, they're 6-2, and two, but they're not a healthy 6-2. and two. They're not a good 6-2. and two. They're, I, I would say they're a weak 6-2. and two. The 49ers are a very healthy, good 6-2. and two. There's a lot of teams that are good 6-2. and two. Patriots are not one of those teams. I think they're lucky to be 6-2, and and it's. I don't think they're as good as their record would say. But by statement, New England has made the last two AFC title games in 2012 and 2011. The Patriots will make the AFC title game again in 2013. I'm going to punt this away. And the reason I'm going to say that is they're they're in a week. You know, we thought that it would be a, de- a better division. Now the Jets are better, and, but the Dolphins have disappointed after starting three and zero. They are now three and four. Um, so I think they're going to win the division. Depending on what other teams do, they're up there to try and get a bye. And if they get a bye and they get a home game in the division round, then they have a good chance at making the, the conference title game. But something tells me that Cincinnati, Indianapolis, which, by the way, New England lost to Cincinnati. New England has to play Denver, which if Denver ends up taking over the West, that's another tiebreaker with the team. Uh, I, I just don't see New England getting a bye, and I think they'll have to play on the road in the division round, and I don't see them winning in Denver or in Kansas City or even in Cincinnati, which they already lost, or, or Indianapolis, too, will be a tough game. You look at the rest of their schedule, it's, it's pretty much a cakewalk. They have Pittsburgh and then a bye at Carolina, home against Denver. That's their toughest game. And then at Houston, home Cleveland, at Miami, at Baltimore, home against Buffalo. So they have one of the easier, the, uh, easier schedules. They could easily finish 12-4. and four. But honestly, in... In the AFC this year, is 12-4 and four good enough for a bye? There are some really good teams, some really good records, which is refreshing. I like it. So um, part of my – I guess I'm, 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 I'm doubtful of whether the Patriots can back, get back to that title game. So I'm going to punt that, that's, that away. But uh, my other 
statement, this is kind of a twofold question. Has the the power returned to the AFC after I talked about in the in the preseason how the NFC was going to be the better conference? They have the better teams. I mean, when you talk about uh, um, Atlanta and New Orleans, Seattle, San Francisco, I thought St. Louis would be competing. You have Chicago, Green Bay, and Detroit. And then the East is kind of a toss-up. Washington was in it last year. You have the Giants. Cowboys should be in it. That was all the good teams you thought in the NFC prior to the season. Well, it seems like there's really no good teams in the NFC East. Maybe you could categorize the Cowboys. I'll throw the Cowboys in there. I think they're good. Green Bay and Detroit are legit. Chicago, especially with no Jay Cutler, no. New Orleans, the only legitimate team in the NFC South. Atlanta lost again to Arizona. Arizona and St. Louis are lying in the weeds there at 4-4 four and four and 3-4, and four, but no Sam Bradford, and I really don't think Carson Palmer is going anywhere with the Cardinals and that team. So it's only Seattle and San Francisco. So there's really only, like, even if you throw in Dallas, there, there are six teams. And that's, that's really it. There, there might not be, other than the division races and uh, the, the division race in the NFC East, which one of those teams will not make it, then um, I, I don't see much competition anywhere else. In the AFC, you have guys like New England, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Denver – all have two losses or less. So five of the six playoff teams, as of right now, in New Eng- uh, in sorry, in the AF- AFC, are on pace for twelve and four or better. Now, I'm not saying that all of them will go twelve and four. I think that would be a little bit difficult. Although I guess the Colts aren't technically on pace for twelve and four yet; they're five and two. Um, but uh, that that last wild card spot maybe will be a team more like 9 and 7 or 8 and 8 or uh something like that but the top I think you could at least say right now the top of the AFC is better than the top of the NFC with guys like teams like Kansas City, Denver, Cincinnati, Indianapolis. I think you could argue that those are the best four teams in the league. I think if you rank the top five, which, by the way, I'll have my power rankings coming out on Wednesday, if you rank the top five teams in the whole league, I think at least three of them are in the AFC. And maybe you throw in New Orleans and Seattle. Although, I just argued for San Francisco. I like San Francisco. Um, It's tough. But I, I, I like where the league is right now as a whole. I'm tired of... It's a good story, but... I'm tired of the New York Giants story. I'm not tired of the New York Giants. Don't get mad at me, Giant fans. I'm just tired of the team going 9-7, and winning the last three games of the regular season to get in, and then winning four road playoff games. It's just I've seen, the, I've seen that a lot lately. I would like a team to finish 14-2 and and just dominate through the playoffs. I know that's boring, but honestly... Having a wild card team win every year is boring too. It'd be nice to see a team like Kansas City, especially if it's Kansas City, a team that hasn't been to the Super Bowl in 40 years. It'd be nice to see them go 14 and 2, 15 and 1, reel off two dominant home playoff wins in the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl and win it. It doesn't have to be Kansas City, but any team. 
Cincinnati, or maybe even uh, New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans was really the last team to do that back in 2009. Well, that was the last year we saw two really dominant teams play each other, the top one seeds in the Super Bowl play. But whoever it is, if it's Seattle, if it becomes San Francisco, um, I don't think it'll be New England, but maybe New England. It'd be nice to just see a team kind of dominate the league, have two or three losses the whole season, and then I think just just uh, emphasize their dominance in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. I think that would be actually refreshing for the league. Parity is good, but at a certain point, it's like you don't want too much parity. I think too much parity is bad as well. I'm sure some people would disagree with me on on that. They love parity, but I I would like to see a team just uh, just dominate the league this year. Uh, even last year, if San Francisco would have won, I think San Francisco at times where they finished last year, eleven four and one, lost four games. Some of those games were not close. Uh, they tied St. Louis, who wasn't a good team. So I, I would like to just see one team just lose two or three games and and win the whole thing. Okay, we're going to take one more break. Here's another song from ELO, then we're going to come back and wrap up today's show. How you feeling? Are you still the same? Don't you realize the things we did, we did? We're for real, not a dream. I just can't Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, Dave's Football News. I wanted to leave you with another slideshow from Football Nation by David Guirida, if I'm saying his name right. Another example for why I wish that we could have a, a show, I guess we could have a show, but Sometimes why I wish that we had uh, an episode during the week to discuss off-the-field uh, stuff rather than just um, the, the game recaps. We try to mix in some other stuff as well in the fourth and long segment. But here's a, a topic that was hot last week with all the injuries happening around the NFL and quality quarterbacks going down. The St. Louis Rams reportedly tried to bring back Brett Favre to play uh, in in replacement for uh, Sam Bradford, who's out for the season. I guess he would be replacing Kellen Clemens at this point, who will be playing for the Rams on uh, Monday Night Football, if you're listening on Monday, that game taking place tonight. Um, So there were... There, there's kind of, there've been rumors about you know Favre coming back, and Favre denies that he wants to come back, and said that he's just not in good enough shape. But uh, Grierda put together a slideshow of the top five available forty-something quarterbacks. So the the top five quarterbacks at this point that are above forty, who are still available as a free agent. So I I think the chances of seeing any of these guys actually come back and play in a game this year are very slim. But you never know. You, you never know in the NFL. So I would recommend checking out that slideshow in addition to the other um, uh, other work that I recommended this week. That does it for our show. Don't forget to check out FN Radio every Tuesday and Thursday from 12 to 2 a.m. You can also replay it 
um, afterwards. You can find it in the iTunes store. You can also find us in the iTunes store as well. Um, and oh, don't forget, there's all kinds of other great stuff on Football Nation. I'll be coming out with some uh, some stuff this week. Cooper Allen and I have a, a, a dual article that comes out every Friday morning. Uh, first and ten, it previews the week uh, upcoming uh, in football in general. We sometimes throw in some college stuff, mostly NFL, but some college stuff. So definitely check that out. And I will be having weekly power rankings coming out every single uh, Wednesday um, during the week. So look out for that as well. In the meantime, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind. <laughs>